Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 17. Please read the highlighted verses with me. I waited patiently for God. He inclined me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and good Eastertide to you. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace as well. And um, most of us don't think a lot or aren't very familiar with that term, Eastertide, but uh, the church historic has celebrated the season between the celebration of the resurrection and, uh, and Pentecost, it's 50 days as Eastertide, the season of resurrection, uh, worshiping and singing resurrection songs, which we kind of do every week anyway. But uh, we've decided that for the next 50 days, we want to spend our teaching time in the song book of the Bible, uh, the Psalms, uh, singing and, and teaching from these uh, songs that God gave in his word for us to sing. And so today, uh, the first of those Eastertide Psalms, Psalm 40. 
I'm going to date myself quite a bit today. In the summer of 2001, in the summer of 2001, Olivia and I chaperoned a youth group trip to a music festival at Laguna Seca. It was called Spirit West Coast. Right, a few fans. Um, it was an annual. It was an annual music festival held at the racetrack there. But this year was special uh, for me, I guess. Uh, this year, the headliner on the last night of the music festival was going to be one of the biggest bands of my high school youth group experience. DC Talk. And the headline about the headliner, so the headline about the headliner on the last night was that this was their last tour. That uh, after this summer of touring, the band, uh, the three members of the band were each going to embark upon a solo career. They were disbanding and using words about, you know, trying to keep doors open, I think, for a reunion at some point. Uh, but they were all going to go out and try uh, to, to be solo artists. And so it was, a, it was a draw, and it was a great show. They played some of their greatest hits from my junior high and high school years, like In the Light and Love is a Verb, with love spelled L-U-V, love. <laughs> and Jesus Freak. And they each sang a few songs, and they, then they each sang a few songs solo. So the two, two guys would leave, and one guy would stay and sing a few songs, and then the next would do the same. And then <clears throat> at the end of the night, all three members of the band came back onto the stage, and they closed the evening with a song called 40. And the chorus goes like this. You want to try to sing? I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. And uh, thank you. We usually turn the microphone off <laughs> while Brad is singing. Um, so they're singing this song about singing a new song, and it wasn't lost on me. A uh, couple of things. One, how intentional it was that they had chosen this song to close the, the concert with singing about singing a new song as they were all getting ready to embark on something new, a new solo career. It also wasn't lost on me that the song that they were singing about singing a new song was not a new song at all, but in fact, it was a cover a cover is that is when you sing someone else's song, right? You redo someone else's song. Um, and the song they were singing was actually written almost 20 years before that in 1983 by one of, well, probably my favorite band of all time, U2. And, uh, and actually, it's not entirely correct to say that you two wrote the band, wrote the song in 1983 because all you two was doing was putting to music the lyrics of the song that was written centuries before that psalm 40 it was a king david cover song right written 28 generations before christ 
and, and pinched from the passage that we read this morning and put to music. I share that story for a couple of reasons. First, to acknowledge that the passage that we're reading today and the passages that we'll read over the next 50 days, the next six weeks, is poetry. It's lyrics without music. And uh, a big first step to interpreting any passage of Scripture, certainly any passage of text at all, is determining and understanding the genre of the, the, the writing that you're reading. For the last year, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And so we've been preaching mostly from passages that are like narrative history or that are, you know, so recorded events in Jesus's life or the recorded teaching of Jesus himself. That's different than lyrics to a song. It's written differently. It's intended to be applied differently in our lives. Luke says at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that he wants to write down an orderly account so that his readers can have some certainty about what it is that they have been taught about Jesus. You can read that in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He says, I'm trying to give you the facts so that you can uh, believe. The lyrics and prayers in the Psalms are a lot different. They're much less about order, orderliness, and they're much less about certainty. They're emotive. They're about intensity. They're about feeling. They're about honesty. They're about a relationship between the singer of the song and the God who they're singing to. When the psalmist says, you put my tears in your bottle, he's talking about God's compassion and care, not about a reservoir of salty water someplace. Bono, the lead singer of that band, U2, comments on the Psalms as the way that finite people approach an infinite God. He says, we need lyric poetry. Why? Because the only way we can approach God is, if we're honest, through metaphor, through symbol. And so art becomes essential. It's not decorative. Bible translator Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He says, the Psalms are important because for some people, they show that imagination is a way to get inside the truth. A few notes of a single song can do something that history can't do or that didactive, instructive teaching can't do. A few notes of a single song can do more than just relay information. It can take you right back to that moment where you were singing along with 20,000 other people. It can transport you uh, to the moment where you were saying goodbye to a loved one. It can feel like forgiveness or remind you who you are. A song can pick you up out of a desperate situation and remind you of salvation in the midst of difficulty. And that's what Psalm 40 is written to do. We don't know exactly what kind of trouble King David was in when he wrote the psalm. It's not specific. What we know from the rest of Scripture is that David got in plenty of trouble. He uh, 
he had one thing after another in his life, having a contract hitman after him, essentially, embarrassing himself in public, being unfaithful to his wife, losing a child, and so on and so on. And we have one thing after another happening to us. If we're honest, we know what it feels like uh, when you feel like you just had enough chance to come up for air before another wave crashes down over you and seems to suffocate you. Another, another unexpected bill, another new diagnosis, another call from the school, another opportunity that falls through. And when David says, he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, the Hebrew poetry that he's using right there is actually describing the lull between crashing waves, the pit between the next crash. We know what it feels like to be stuck in a miry bog. We can't, we can't find a new job. We're stuck. Can't seem to figure out a way to connect with a wayward kid. Can't seem to break the same old cycle of addiction or the same old besetting sin like Jeff was talking about. We know what it feels like to feel stuck and we can't get out. And we also know what it feels like to have to wait, to wait for an answer, to wait for resolve in the drama that we find ourselves in, wait for, uh, to be forced to submit to God's timing and his schedule rather than the one that we would prefer and uh, the translation in this passage probably doesn't do justice to the emotion in the Hebrew psalm. When we, when we read, I waited patiently for the Lord, it sounds like you're reading a magazine at the doctor's office while you wait for your name to be called. But the Hebrew actually doubles down on the waiting. It says, in waiting, I waited. It's more like I waited endlessly for the Lord. And that sounds familiar. And yet, if you know anything else about the David of the Bible. You've probably heard that God rescued him from a giant, that he survived the pursuit of a jealous king, that he was rescued from mutiny and set on the throne of Israel. And if we think about it, we have stories of finding our footing as well. We know that there are stories in our own lives of averting crisis and and answered prayer. We remember renewed security and, and restored hope. We just spent the whole weekend, last weekend, on Easter, telling the story of Christ's resurrection. And when it, when it seemed like death had won, and when, uh, when it seemed like all hope was lost, and then God prevailed after the 11th hour. God lifted Jesus out of the pit of destruction, out of death itself, and, and set him firmly alive in our midst on the third day. But what do we do with that story this week? How do we use the stories of God's work in our lives to sustain us and to help us grow? How do we make the big story of how Christ saved us from sin and the small stories of when he's answered our prayers and delivered us in times of trials, how do we make those stories operative in our lives? Well, according to David, you sing. You sing a new song. And if you're not a songwriter, 
Maybe just do a cover. There's a whole book of songs right here in the middle of your Bible. The Psalms. And in Psalm 40, David actually demonstrates for us at least three important things that he does with what God has done in his life. Three ways in which he allows what God has done in the past to keep propelling him today in the moment that he finds himself. First, we read that he recalls God's goodness in his own life. He recalls it for himself. It says, He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Uh, David's first response is gratitude. Although he hoped for and prayed for provision, and he may even think that what has come about is what he deserves or what is just, uh, whatever it is, his response isn't one of entitlement or exasperation. Finally, God. It's a song of praise. David's training himself in thankfulness. A new blessing from God, according to David, requires a new song to be sung. God is the giver of every good gift, but his good gifts are not a given. Say that ten times fast. God's goodness, his grace is not a foregone conclusion for David. Each good gift is more than he, a sinner, deserves. It's grace, and so each time he recalls God's goodness, he sings a new song, uh, and he's teaching himself to sing a song of gratitude. He also, secondly, reminds anyone else who will listen what God has done. Uh, David sings this new song, but it's not a song that's intended for him to sing alone in the shower. Verse 3 is clear that uh, the hope is that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see what God has done and fear and trust God as much as we need to know the mechanism by which we have been saved. And we've discussed it already this morning, Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf. We need to understand what God has done. Um, as much as we cannot know God without that information, without the teaching of Scripture, God has also designed us to see Him at work in the lives and in the hearts of others around us. To see what he has done in your life is for me. And what he's done in my life is for you. He has designed a, a holy fear of a belief in his power and in his love that comes into our lives when we hear about how he's moved in the real lives of people around us. Other people are thirsty for the encouragement that comes when I tell my story. They need to hear and read the stories and sing the songs about how God has worked in the lives of others. Around the same time as that music festival, I was reading a book that had been released by DC Talk. It was a collection of stories and testimonies of Christians from all over the world, past and present, who had been persecuted and suffered for following Jesus, but persevered. The name of the book was Jesus Freaks. 
just like their album. It's brilliant marketing. A little corny now, but I was captured by these stories of faith. God designed us to observe the benefit of faith in the lives of others and be compelled by the music that that creates. And, and it draws us into consider trusting him for ourselves. I think that's what Eugene Peterson means when he says that the Psalms can help us get inside the truth. David's song is descriptive and it's emotive. It's an invitation to consider what the truth of the gospel has done in his life. He's proclaiming, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Come and see what life might look like, what faith might look like in your life too. Third, David rededicates and he, and he represents this is interesting. Maybe you've heard of, uh, maybe you've heard someone refer to what, what they might call a foxhole prayer, right? That every soldier in the midst of battle finds themselves praying and promising God, if you get me out of this, I'll be in church every Sunday. Or the inmate who uh, is promising to dedicate his life to God in exchange for his freedom. But you'll notice that there's no exchange in David's psalm, in Psalm 40. He has long since been saved from calamity, long before uh, verse 6 finally refers to anything that sounds like formal worship or religious dedication. And even then he says that it's not sacrifice that will delight God or a sin offering that God requires in exchange for whatever help he's given David. David's worship is a response to God's grace to him, not a deal with God. There's nothing he can do to repay. It's, uh, it's not ritual that God is after. Nonetheless, it does seem like uh, upon receiving God's grace, David comes into corporate worship. He comes to offer sacrifices and sin offerings, which was the worship of the day. Why? Well, I think there's at least two reasons that we can deduce from the text. First, in verse 6, it says this interesting thing. David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. The Hebrew literally says, You have borne out my ears, or you have dug out my ears. What does that mean? It sounds like something a mother snaps at a child who is not listening. Dig out your ears, child! Maybe, maybe commentators uh, don't really agree, but some think that David is actually referring to something else. In Exodus 21, there's a passage that gives instruction to slaves. To, it's instruction to a slave who has been released from bondage and set free by the generosity and love of a good master. You can read about this in Exodus 21. And in, in that passage, it says that such a freed slave could choose to remain in the service of the master that they loved, even though they were free to do otherwise. And the sign of this desire to continue serving their benevolent master was to have their master bore out their ear with an awl. Pierced ears were a sign of chosen dedication to a loving master. 
Taken this way, we see David's sacrifice and worship as an outward sign of an inward transformation that's happened in his life because of what God has done for him. A rededication to the God he loves, a giving of his whole self because of God's goodness to him. David was also king. That means he was representative. When he worshiped, when he demonstrated where his heart was at, he was leading the people of Israel. When he sacrificed, they followed suit. And so he says, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do the will, to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David knows that another sacrifice is not what God desires, but this is how the law has been written. Uh, the law has been written to show that these sacrifices stand in the place until God someday provides a sacrifice that will truly wipe away his people's sin. And so David demonstrates a desire to see God's word fulfilled and leading and representing God's people in worship. Now, sometimes the best cover songs are better than the originals. I wouldn't go so far uh, as saying DC Talks was better than U2. But sometimes that's the case, and sometimes it's because the cover band is better musicians and they, they play with more skill. Uh, sometimes it's because of just the story, the life and the wisdom and the experience of the new person singing the old song induce it with new meaning. And sometimes by just changing one word or one little phrase, a new artist totally transforms the meaning of a song. As it turns out, you too are not the first ones to cover Psalm 40 after David wrote it. In fact, the author of the book of Hebrews quotes it at length, referring to Jesus as a new king and a new representative. Hebrews chapter 10 takes Psalm 40 and it changes just one phrase that transforms the meaning. It sings it this way. It says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Suddenly, it's a song about how the constant sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament were unable to permanently wipe away the guilt and the consequences of sin, which is why Jesus came to us in a body, prepared to do God's will, and not to have just his ear pierced, but to have his hands and his feet and his side, to offer himself as our representative, to die in our place once and for all. Verse 10 of Hebrews 10 says, and by that will we, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. The first thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke, which we've been describing, when he arrives on the scene in public ministry, uh, he opens the scripture and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he essentially says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When Jesus shows up, 
And he does this again and again, but he's singing a cover song. He's singing the Psalms and transforming their meaning. And so just another side note, if you are following, that means that DC Talk sang about singing a new song. And when they did, they were singing an old song covering a song that you too sang about singing a new song, but you too was covering Hebrews who was singing about a new song that Jesus used to sing, but Jesus was covering King David. Now, if you're following along, you've realized we're only halfway through the psalm. And you're probably hoping we're more than halfway through the sermon. (laughs) There's one more compelling thing that I want to point out about Psalm 40. I don't want us to miss. Look at what happens in the middle of the psalm. Here's verse 12 and 13. David says again, for the evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. There are more, they are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David is in it again. He's in trouble again. Can you relate? He's reaping the consequences of his own bad decisions again, midway through the the psalm. His old enemies are catching up with him. Some commentators find the, the turn so profound that they think maybe it was two songs put together. But David, in a single song, sings of what God has done in the past and then realizes, or we realize, that this is not just a song about old stuff that he doesn't struggle with anymore. He's still in it. And so what does David do when he finds himself again stuck in the mire? When he finds himself again in the pit of destruction, he sings. When he finds that he's waiting again endlessly for God to show up, he sings about the things that God has done before. When he's stuck in the mire again, he sings about when God pulled him out before. When he feels abandoned and alone, he remembers the time when he went before the great congregation and worship. He reminds himself when trouble returns that not only has God been faithful in the past, but that God will be faithful again, and he's proven it at the cross. 